Rapidly adapting to facts on the ground, the Biden administration has announced a change in its Afghanistan strategy, abandoning their plans for a criminally incompetent and chaotic withdrawal, recklessly scheduled for slimy political reasons, and adopting a new policy of abject and humiliating surrender to a medieval enemy. The change in tactic was announced at a ceremony in the Capitol building where Volkswagen drove into the rotunda and the complete staff of the White House, the State Department and the Pentagon poured out of the tiny car wearing hilarious oversized shoes and adorable red noses that honked when you squeeze them. Fake news anchorman Brian Williams commented on the delightful ceremony from an evacuation helicopter built on the set of his MSNBC show and jiggled around to make it look like it was flying through flak. Williams said, quote, you have to admire this American president for openly embracing the fact that he's a clown. I just sort of wish he weren't the clown from that Stephen King movie, unquote. In light of the new abject policy, White House spokeswoman Jen Psaki issued new advisories for those Americans and Afghanis completely abandoned to our victorious enemies. Number one, for those 12-year-old girls being forced to, quote, unquote, marry Taliban soldiers, the White House advises they immediately identify as male. Then the Taliban won't be able to marry them because Islam disapproves of homosexuality. Two, the Taliban should change its outmoded attitudes toward homosexuality and embrace gay pride, as symbolized by the rainbow flag we stuffed in the trash so no one would find it as we're desperately fleeing our embassy. Three, in accordance with American military policy, all Afghanis should begin to study white rage and its causes, like the fact that you've been abandoned by the American military, whose generals were too busy studying white rage to bother actually winning a war. Four, when rushing the walls of Kabul airport and hurling your children over the barbed wire in the desperate hope some kindly GI will take them in and raise them as his own, don't forget to wear a mask. You don't want to catch COVID while you're being slaughtered by terrorists. Five, it is irresponsible to say that Americans are stranded in Afghanistan. Think of them instead as waiting for a ship while sitting on a desert island that hasn't been discovered yet. But instead of being surrounded by water, they're surrounded by blood and guns. And six, in bowing to all the Taliban's demands, President Biden has set a fine example for all Americans to live in fear and obey our new Islamist overlords. Remember, these people are heavily armed. We know this because they're using abandoned American weapons. So be like Joe Biden. Just give them whatever they want. There'll be more information about the new Biden policy of abject surrender on an hour-long CNN special hosted by Matthew Dowd and entitled, Why Our Humiliating Defeat is a Glorious Victory. So you'll want to tune into that if the Taliban says it's okay. Trigger warning. I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky. Life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray, oh, hooray, hurrah. All right, we are back laughing our way through the last days before, obviously, the last days. Uh, if you will go on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to this podcast and give us a five-star review, that is extraordinarily helpful. It will help us uh, to keep smiling away while everything just sinks into the sea uh, and is covered over by water and then lava and finally by demons. Um, also, if you want to be in the mailbag next week, you know what to do. you got to subscribe. Go to the where it says watch. Go to the Andrew Clavin podcast. Hit that little uh, 
looks like a folded airplane. You can ask me about anything you want. You can ask about politics. You can ask about your personal life. You can ask about religion. All my answers are guaranteed 100% correct and will change your life. Will they change your life for the better? Nothing at this point is going to change your life for the better. Also go on YouTube. We have, if you subscribe there, this is the Andrew Claven YouTube channel. It's my personal YouTube channel. We will have exclusive content there. And if you ring that bell, I will deliver it personally to your house uh, wearing, uh, you know, a Speedo. Uh, <laughs> I just, I made that up. If you, if you, uh, if you leave a comment and the comment is sufficiently ignorant and cruel, uh, we will read it on the show. It's fitting right in with the rest of the show. Here we have a comment from the 11th Doctor. I don't know. what it's kind of, That sounds kind of suspicious, but I don't know what that means. But he says, Clavin is gone for two weeks and Afghanistan falls. Coincidence? I think not. Obviously, obviously the two things are connected. All right. I hope you have a VPN. I have a VPN, Express VPN. How did you choose which internet service provider to use? The sad thing is most of us don't have much choice because ISPs operate like monopolies in the regions they serve. And they use this monopoly power to take advantage of customers. So you got to protect yourself with ExpressVPN. What is ExpressVPN? It's a simple app for your computer or smartphone that encrypts all your network data and tunnels it through a secure VPN server so that your ISP cannot see any of your activity. Just think about how much of your life is on the internet. Sadly, the list of people you've messaged, sites you've visited, videos you've watched get tracked by tech giants who can sell your information for profit. Stop handing over your personal data to ISPs and other tech giants who mine your activity and sell off your information. Protect yourself with the VPN I trust to keep me private online. Visit expressvpn.com slash Clavin. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash Clavin to get three extra months free. Go to expressvpn.com slash Clavin right now to learn more. Especially you have to learn how to spell Clavin. It's K-L-A. <laughs> They're, they're just none. It's v K L A V A N. So listen, it's a little uh, hard to joke today, but I'm going to joke because I think that we are living through a very cruel joke. But you all know the tragic news that at least 13 Americans, um, American soldiers uh, are dead. Uh, at about 100 other people are dead after a coordinated bombing and shooting attack on the Kabul airport. Uh, this is attributed to ISIS-K. Uh, who are a group that is uh, theoretically even worse than the Taliban, even more Islamist than the Taliban. One of the things about the Taliban is that um, they were they allowed for bin Laden's to stage his attack on us on 9-11. But apparently some of them were actually kind of angry about it. They just wanted to oppress their own country. And bin Laden brought down the wrath of the West on them. But the ISIS-K people, they want to kill everybody. They serve a vicious, angry, violent, uh, sexist, cruel God, who, of course, is not God, uh, but they want him to rule over all. So obviously this is this is part of this criminally, insanely incompetent uh, withdrawal from Afghanistan, which is completely separate from the question which we debated last night uh, on backstage, the question of whether we should get out or not. Uh, we had a debate between basically between Matt and Knowles on the one hand and Ben and Jeremy on the other hand and me on a third hand, having a completely different opinion from both of them. 
Uh, and after this, but this is really, again, this kind of death and chaos and destruction is on Biden. This is on Biden. It has nothing to do with whether we should be there, how we get out. It had to do with the way this was done and his criminal incompetence. But it goes beyond incompetence because really what it is, is it's, it's a certain indifference. And that's what I'm going to talk about uh, to an extent today uh, after hours, hours of this thing happened. Obviously, this is when you want to hear from the commander in chief, and he should come out quickly if it had been any other president, including Obama, including presidents I don't like. They would have come out uh, post haste. But uh, I, you tell me why Biden takes hours and hours and hours and then comes out and gives this slurred, maundering, uh, completely detached speech. Remember, this is something in in August uh, Biden said this. This is what was going to happen if anybody attacked us. We were very big with the threats as a cut 34. We made clear to the Taliban that any attack, any attack on our forces or disruption of our operations at the airport will be met with swift and forceful response. And that's what he said then. Now he says this uh, cut 30 in this horrible speech he made after the event. To those who carried out this attack, as well as anyone who wishes America harm, know this, we will not forgive. We will not forget. We will hunt you down and make you pay. I will defend our interests and our people with every measure at my command. So, you know, I'll ask you, do you believe him? Uh, he said, we'll do this in our own time. Uh, you know, who knows when that is. I, everything the man has been saying to us has been a lie. Uh, he's told us that NATO is on board with this. He tells us all his generals agree. He tells us all, that, you know, we didn't need to hold a Bagram, that he blamed that on the generals. They said they didn't need to hold Bagram. Obviously, you should have held Bagram. Obviously, you should have kept troops there to make sure that everybody got out safely. The whole thing has been botched, uh, and it's been botched in this kind of callous way. Peter Ducey, the guy who's trying to teach the press corps to recover its integrity after their shameful uh, abandonment of their jobs during the presidential campaign of uh, Biden. Ducey challenged him at this speech and, you know, to Biden's credit, he called on him in this very hostile way. And here was a little piece of that exchange as cut 31. Mr. President, there had not been a U.S. service member killed in combat in Afghanistan since February of 2020. You set a deadline, you pulled troops out, you sent troops back in, and now 12 Marines are dead. You said the buck stops with you. Do you bear any responsibility for the way that things have unfolded in the last two weeks? I bear responsibility for fundamentally all that's happened of late. But here's the deal. You know, I wish you'd one day say these things, you know as well as I do that the former president made a deal with the Taliban. So he, he takes full responsibility for being for it's being Trump's fault. Uh, this is the that's the joke I made on the opening. So not only do you get tomorrow's news today on the show, yesterday's satire actually becomes today's tragedy. But what the, the argument he was trying to make was that 
Donald Trump made a deal with the Taliban not to attack us and we would get out. And if we hadn't gotten out, they would have started to attack us. That excuse doesn't really hold water because it's been years. I mean, at least since 2015, since we have lost uh, a lot of troops killed in action. We really haven't. This has been one of the worst days we've had. Almost as many people as have died in a year over the last uh, five or six years died on this day. And again, it was pure incompetence. By the end of this exchange with Peter Ducey, Biden had his head bowed. He was clutching uh, his this binder. Uh, it, I just couldn't help but think, what are the Chinese looking at when they see this? They're looking at a loser. Uh, they're looking at a guy who's not going to ha- doesn't have anything to say. And none, again, n- nothing that he says matters because we're not dealing with policy. We're just dealing with incompetence. We're dealing with uh, this callous stupidity. Uh, it's, we're dealing with this kind of the stupidity of people who just don't care enough. And, you know, It came out yesterday that in the hope that the Taliban would protect some of these people trying to escape, we were actually releasing names to them of uh, Americans, of green card holders, of Afghan allies. We're essentially handing them a kill list. So we're looking at this disaster. And what does it mean? We like to open the show. We usually open the show with a segment we call What's the Big Idea? And today's big idea is called Quo Vadis. Quo Vadis is a Latin phrase that means whither goest thou? Where are you going? The phrase comes from a second century apocryphal book called the Acts of Peter, and it describes how the apostle Peter uh, tried, was, he was in Rome spreading the gospel after the crucifixion and the resurrection, uh, and Nero came to power and started persecuting Christians, and Peter said, I better get out of here uh, before I get killed doing this, and he was escaping on the, along the Appian Way when he saw Jesus traveling in the other direction, Jesus traveling to Rome. And he said, Quo vadis, Domine, where are you going, Lord, whither goest thou? And Jesus said, I'm heading back to, be Rome, to Rome to be crucified again. And Peter realized that this was his mission. This was his job. And he turned back and he went back to Rome and he finished preaching the gospel and was himself ultimately martyred. He was crucified, according to tradition, he was crucified upside down uh, because he said, I'm not worthy to die in the manner of the Lord. And the reason I call this segment Quo Vadis is because it seems to me we're witnessing a moment of decision. I've been telling you for years that we're living through the end of something. That's how life works, right? People come and they live and then they die. Nations come and they live and they die. Everything that is mortal or connected to mortals comes and lives and dies and periods of history are the same way. And what this is, is it's the end of the American century. We're watching in real time the end of the American century, by which I mean uh, the period of America's rise to international dominance. Uh, It lasted from the end of World War I. Uh, It peaked in the post-World War II American order, which likewise peaked in our victory in the Cold War, and it ended yesterday. Uh, And that doesn't mean there's not a new American century coming. It simply means that this one is over. The order that came out of the world wars is over. The the logic that arose from the Cold War uh, and our victory in the Cold War is over. Uh, We sort of try to extend it by claiming that uh, radical Islam was as big a threat to us as a big existential threat as a nuclear-armed Soviet Union. That wasn't really true. Uh, And now we see we are facing a choice at the end of this thing because we we don't know who's going to rule the future. We do not know who's going to rule the future, and we don't know how they will dominate the future. So we're facing a choice. Are we going to run away like Peter? We're going to run away from the seat of empire like Peter did, uh, or are we going to turn back like Peter ultimately did and take up the cross of leading 
the free world. Uh, you know, young people, young commentators like to be ironic because ironic, being ironic is a good way to seem superior when you don't have a lot of knowledge. <laughs> but young, wa- you know, young waggish uh, commentators like to say, whither goest thou, Western man? And I think this is the time to ask that question. So here I am in Nashville and my home is at home. And I want to protect my home while I'm here in Nashville. With a ring alarm security system, you're at ease, right? Because you can see what's going on and have peace of mind anywhere you are. You can protect your home with a ring alarm. Ring alarm is a powerful, affordable home security system you can easily install yourself. It works seamlessly with other ring products in one simple app. Keep an eye on every corner of your house with indoor and outdoor cams. See what's happening right from your phone. I didn't realize how easy the ring alarm was to install. You can do it your Self. Protect your home anytime from anywhere with Ring Alarm. Go to ring.com slash Claven for a special offer on a Ring Alarm security kit today. You can build a system that is right for your home and have it up and running in minutes. That's ring.com slash Claven, ring.com slash Claven. Anywhere you are on this app, you can talk to the people outside your house. You can say, ha, how do you spell Claven? And if they know, you just call the police. If we want, uh, America to remain the leader of the free world, as I said last week, we're going to have to define ourselves. We have to know who we are and we have to know what we believe. As we are learning right now in Afghanistan, you cannot win something without knowing what victory looks like. You can't win something if you keep changing the goals. And that's what has happened in Afghanistan. Now, we know what victory looks like for the Democrats. This is one of the things about the Democrats. They are more directed than we are. That that is why they are in ascendance right now. They know what they want. After 20 months of watching them peddle COVID fears and the lockdowns that destroyed small businesses while big businesses thrived and that restricted the actions of ordinary Americans who wanted to pray and go to church or to uh, visit with their dying loved ones, uh, they were restricted while Nancy Pelosi and Gavin Newsom and Lori Lightfoot went out to dinner and visited relatives and had their hair done. That is what a Democrat victory looks like. It looks like we're powerful Democrats doing what they please while telling us to be afraid, while locking us down, while destroying our businesses, while big business thrives and essentially becomes part of the government. If you want to see what a a Democrat victory looks like, you only have to look, for instance, in Oregon. Uh, Kate Brown, the governor there, uh, made this announcement the other day. This is cut two. Today, I'm announcing that effective Friday, August 27th, masks will be required in all public outdoor settings where physical distancing is not possible regardless of vaccination status. Masks have proven to be effective at reducing transmission and are a necessary measure right now, even in some outdoor settings, to help us fight COVID and to protect one another. Completely untrue and completely unscientific. She's just making stuff up. Uh, If you want to read Jeff Anderson, a pal of mine, wrote a, a good article at City Journal called Do Masks Work? A very dispassionate uh, look at the evidence. It was censored on Facebook and on LinkedIn. So, you know, it had a lot of truth to it. So but my point is this. My point is this. She made that completely ridiculous, completely uh, non-scientific, completely oppressive mandate in the state of Oregon while in Portland. This was going on. This is 28. You can play. Uh, This is the streets of Portland 
Far right groups and far left groups are in violent clashes. Antifa and the Proud Boys are shooting paintballs and tear gas and fireworks at one another. Uh, Antifa is beating up uh, and tormenting uh, journalists and women. Uh, they are the, the streets of Portland and the police, meanwhile, can't do anything about it. The, the police can't do anything about it. A Democrat victory looks like Portland Governor Kate Brown telling you that you've got to put a mask on your face for apps outdoors, even if you're vaccinated. So it's completely unscientific while the streets of our city, her city are devolving into violent revolution, violent civil war while the police st- are helpless, you know. This is this is what the Democrat a Democrat victory looks like. Here's another thing that a Democrat looks like. This is cut 26. This is Nancy Pelosi at a fundraiser in Napa Valley, very fancy part of California. Uh, She is speaking to a group of very wealthy Democrat fundraisers. Every single one of them that I can see from here is a white person, uh, an an older white person. None of them is wearing a mask. They're seated shoulder to shoulder. She's not wearing a mask while they're being served by people, all of whom are wearing masks. Uh, The people who are waiting on them are all wearing masks. And meanwhile, in Nancy Pelosi's district, uh, San Francisco, we're seeing pictures of absolute chaos and horror. The uh, just the homelessness, the drug use, the crime. This is Nancy Pelosi's district, uh, and it's unlivable for ordinary people. And this is what a Democrat victory looks like. This is always, always, always what socialism looks like in the end. It's a perilous life for the elites because they get to do, they get the privilege and they get to do whatever they want, but they can be canceled at any moment for not towing the ideological line. For drab, ordinary people, you are just struggling to survive. You defund the police because you don't want local local venues to have any power over crime, but you hire private security for the rich and for the uh, elites, the leftist elites. You defund the military, but you join hands with the Taliban because why not? You're tyrants too. Why shouldn't you be negotiating with tyrants? You tax the not really rich, the slightly above average, to support the indigent in their indigence because ordinary people have nothing to offer. The elites can run everything. The ordinary people just need to be kept quiet with a guaranteed income. They don't need jobs. They can sleep on the streets. All that is fine as long as the elite people can fly around on their private jets and discuss whether we're allowed to drive our cars on Wednesday or maybe it should only be every other Thursday. And don't dare deny climate change because if you deny that climate change is an existential threat, demanding that the elites get to control the energy flow, then we'll have our friends at Facebook and Twitter uh, censor your speech. And they're allowed to do that uh, because they're private companies, so they're not governed by the First Amendment. That is what a Democrat victory looks like. That is what they are working for. And the deaths in Afghanistan are not getting in the way of that, as I'll explain in a couple of minutes. The disaster in Afghanistan, the reason Biden doesn't care and the reason the Democrats don't care that Biden doesn't care is because that's not what they're working on. What they're working on is what I just described. So what about us? What do we believe in? And right now we are in disarray, I think. We have people on the right who are telling us, oh, if you don't believe that Trump secretly won the election, you're not a conservative. You know, just one more recount in Arizona and Trump, I mean, magically a, a reinstatement clause will appear in the Constitution and Trump is going to be reinstated. Well, that has nothing to do with conservatism. You may believe that and you may not believe it. You may feel there's evidence. You may not feel there's evidence. It doesn't matter. It's not going to happen. It's not real life. So screw that. But also screw the GOP who for 20 years now has been running mini-me Democrats. I mean, they call them rhinos, guys like Mitt Romney, 
who supported, you know, government health care in Massachusetts. John McCain, who censored speech with his stupid uh, campaign finance laws. Jeb, exclamation point, Bush, who uh, wanted to open the borders just as much as Biden has opened the borders. That exclamation point uh, was the punctuation equivalent of lipstick on a pig. So these are the people who are making us so angry that we've lost our minds. But what do we stand for? What are we being cheated out of? What are we being denied? Now, some, some, one, is, one of the people on backstage, I can't remember who said this, maybe it was Ben, uh, said that conservative thought is always reactionary. And conservatives don't have a philosophy. They just know that the left is wrong. They know what they hate. And there's a lot of truth to this. You know, it's, it's not supposed to be this way in America. But it, it is true that a lot of times conservatives react and they end up just hating modernity. Whatever is modern, they hate it. Globalism is bad. Gay rights are bad. Birth control is bad. Too many non-whites coming into America is bad. Some of some uh, conservatives are even saying that liberalism itself is bad. Let's bring back theocracy. I'm not mentioning any Knowles names. I mean, I'm, uh, but, you know, some some people are actually abandoning liberalism and in Europe, that reactionary attitude was definitional of conservatism. That's what conservatives believed in. They believed in blood and soil and aristocracy. Here, it's very different. American conservatives are trying to conserve a revolution, a liberal revolution to some degree, the revolution of 1776 and its values, the values that were stated in the Declaration of Independence, the values that are inherent in the way that uh, the Constitution plays power centers off one another. Uh, Edmund Burke, the British parliamentarian, he's actually Irish-British parliamentarian, uh, had the right idea. Basically, he said, it's not modernity we hate. Change will come. But let us guide that change according to our traditions and our values. And the thing is, I'm in line with that. That's where I stand. I love modernity. OK, I love that that my cell phone has all the knowledge in the world in it. I love that women have more choices than they used to have. I love loving living in a multi-ethnic society. I have people that yell at me about this, but I do. And I even love the fact that you have the right to commit heresy uh, and go to a different church than I do, which, you know, is a tremendous mistake. But still. And. Because we rail against modernity, we leave this space open for the left. And what the left does is it steps up and it convinces people that leftist values are the cause of modernity, that leftist values are the necessary support for modernity, that you can't have a multi-ethnic America unless you follow their stupid Black Lives Matter uh, anti-racism racism, right? And their unfair equity ideas and their neo-segregation. That they, that's what where the ethnic society comes from. Uh, you can't have women's rights without feminism, they tell you. You can't have globalism without giving away America's sovereign power to the UN and other uh, international groups. You can't have gay rights without supporting the gay agenda and transgender idiocy. Uh, and most importantly, you can't have science without materialism and atheism. All of that is untrue. All of that is untrue. We have let them make that argument because we have railed against modernity. So many people look at the chaos uh, and disaster that is the Andrew Clavin show, and they say to me, why didn't you use ZipRecruiter? I was a fool. What can I tell you? And now, now is the time to get it, because according to Forbes, gyms, nail salons, hotels, mom and pop stores, and more are set to go on an epic hiring spree in the coming months to meet the pent-up demand for all the services they need. And all these businesses reopening means that millions of jobs will need to be filled where do these businesses turn to fill these roles fast? ZipRecruiter. They don't want chaos like this. 
When you post a job on ZipRecruiter, they send your job to over 100 top job sites, giving you access to their network of millions of job seekers. ZipRecruiter's matching technology scans resumes to find qualified candidates for your open roles and proactively presents them to you. You can easily review recommended candidates and invite your top choices to apply for your job. Oh, how I wish we had done that here. ZipRecruiter's technology is excellent right now. You can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Clavin. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Clavin. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Clavin. It's the smartest way to hire someone who knows how to spell Clavin. And he'll tell you it's K. <laughs> exactly. I love modernity. I really do. I love the modern world, but I despise progressive values because they're not really modern. Progressive values are the most regressive values out there. They are values formed in the past and carried over into the prison, into the present. And and that's why, you know, the, the left keeps racial bigotry alive and why feminists make women more unhappy. True modern values, true modern values are eternal values brought into the modern world and applied to the modern world. We change, as Burke told us, we change, but we change in keeping with our traditions. And that's what I live in. I, like I said, I, I, I love living in a country that's a multi-ethnic country. I think that's the wave of the future. I think that's why America is here to create that kind of atmosphere. I am convinced that American style multi-ethnicity is the wave of the future, but it's not the old racism that we want, this thing that the left clings to that we have to think about race all the time. It's a new thing that evolved out of eternal truths, freedom and responsibility and hard work and equal treatment, those things that are all American and have been with us forever. Those are the gods of the copybook heading. They are the eternal truths. I love Americans of every color, but every one of them is responsible to the same law, right? The true modern values say that we all have to be treated the same. So if you commit crimes, you go to jail, whether you're black or white. If you resist arrest and a policeman kills you while subduing you, too bad. You shouldn't have done that. It's not the policeman's fault. It's your fault for resisting arrest. It's not racism. It's just being fair. It's modern. It's being fair. It's treating everybody the same. That's Never happened in the world before. It is happening here now. When you tear down a statue of George Washington and put up a statue of George Floyd, you are tearing down the author of our modernity, George Washington, and putting up a representation of the lawlessness that goes back to early man, right? You're not going forward. You're going back. The same thing is true of women and feminism. Women are free now and women have choices now, not because Gal Gadot won World War One, and not because they can punch a man and knock him over. That's all nonsense. Or win in a sword fight. All nonsense. They are women are free now because of the evolution of Western eternal truths. Those eternal truths evolved in our civilization until women were free, and our technology, which also comes from Western ideas, also helped women to become free. So why would you want to make the same choices? Because women are eternally different from men, why should women make the same choices as men do? That's what feminism says, because feminism are stuck. Feminists are stuck in the old days when women envied what men had because they didn't have them. Those things, they didn't have those choices. They didn't have those rights. And they thought, gee, I wish I were a man, some women thought, because then I would have those rights. And that's in the literature, women saying those things. But now 
in the modern world, you have the choices. You no longer have to envy men. You can construct free lives that are women's lives. And maybe they're different. Maybe men put career early on in life because they want to be able to support a family. Maybe women should put family first in life because they're young and can produce children more easily and then save careers for later. I'm not telling anybody what to do. I'm just saying, why not live as free women if you're free women? Feminism keeps you back in the past. Gay rights. I know uh, Matt Walsh, and I love Matt, but you know I know he, he's very down on gay rights. Here, I I lived in a time. I've been. A, I'm an artist. I've been an artist all my life. I've had. I've worked with and had many gay friends. You know that my son, uh, no relation, is gay. Uh, it, it's better now. It is better now. I saw the stunted lives gay people lived. I saw the fear they lived in. I saw them get arrested simply for being gay. It is better that that is not happening. But, but that doesn't mean that men are no longer men and women are no longer women. And it doesn't mean that the core sacred relationship at the center of human thriving is the marriage between a man and a woman. It is. It is the only thing that is marriage. I have no problem when my pal Dave Rubin calls his, he says, I'm gay married. Fine. That's fine. But marriage remains what it is, what it always was. And it's at the core. It's at the center of human life. That doesn't necessarily uh, mean anything. That's not a moral judgment. That's a positional judgment. This relationship between a man and a woman who come together uh, in eternity to have children and create new life, that is at the core of human thriving. Live your life. That's the modern way. That's a beautiful thing. But the eternal truth remains true. And finally, I love science. I love medicine. I love iPhones. I love the fact that children don't die anymore. Even cars don't break down anymore. That's part of science. But there remains a supernatural element of of morality to human life. Human actions have a moral meaning. That moral meaning exists above nature. And once you follow out the logic of that, take my word on this. I thought about it for 40 years. Take my word on this. Once you follow out the logic of that, there is a God on high. And you can make all the snarky remarks you want about, oh, you believe in an old man in the sky. There is an old man in the sky, an old Jewish man in the sky. And right now, he is incredibly pissed off. We have to stick with the truth, even as the world changes. We have to stick with the things that are true. What I want is I want a global world guided by American values, individual liberty, equal treatment under the law, faith in the God of our fathers, the God of love and forgiveness. I believe that that vision, if we're going to have a global world, it's going to be a global world. There's nothing you can do to stop it. It is a global world. But I want a global world dominated, run by American vision. And that means we need a strong civilian run American military, which means we have to be responsible in our spending or we won't be able to pay our troops. That's where we're getting to now. And that means we need a strictly limited welfare state, less of a welfare state than most of Europe has because they don't have to defend themselves. They know we will defend them. It requires faith that human beings are made in God's image. There is no other argument for freedom but that. That is the only argument for freedom without that God who believes in your freedom, who made you in his image, you can't defend freedom. And that means we need freedom of religious worship, which means we need open practice of religion. We means the state cannot limit your religion, even in a pandemic. And it means we need free debate of religion, even as if Islamists want to kill you for it, we still need it. Multinational corporations with the wealth of entire countries cannot control our speech, our argument, I do not care that they are private entities because they're not really. So a strong military, a strong welfare, a small welfare state, individual freedom, which means the the billionaires at Davos can take their great reset and stuff it. 
Equal treatment, which means no harm to minorities, but no favoritism to minorities either. If the minorities want good American stuff, they have to be good Americans. Our traditions and our faith and our common sense will bring us to a better modernity. That's the path into modernity. It will bring us to a better modernity than tearing down the work that our forefathers did and elevating thugs like George Floyd and defining women out of existence and defining femininity out of existence and trying to push God off his throne. I definitely believe this is the end of the American century. There's no question about that. But there can be a new American century. There definitely can. It's going to be different. It's going to be more global. It's going to be more open. But it still should be governed and ruled by American Western principles. We can't choose. We can't choose to go back to the past. Conservatives have got to let this go. We can only go into the future. We're not going back to the 50s. They're not coming back. They're over. They're gone. Kiss them goodbye. We're going into a new world. But as we go forward, there is an invisible army at our back, a visible army of all the heroes who brought us here Flawed, they were sinful, they were broken, but they carried the flag that represents our ideas. They nursed the children who became us, and they lifted the cross that makes us who we are. We should not leave American greatness behind. So I don't know about you, but I like to take what the British call a little flutter from time to time, a little small, controllable bet. But I don't like it if the odds are against me entirely. So that is why I like Stat Hero. It's the first ever daily fantasy sports book that puts the player in control and puts winning within reach. Here's how it works. Stat Hero shows you the lineups. They show you their fantasy lineups, and it dares you to beat them. It's you versus the house in a head-to-head fantasy matchup. You name your stakes and winner take all. You have the advantage. Stat Hero is showing you their lineups ahead of time. No one else does that. You're in total control. Stat Hero is DFS the way it was meant to be. One-on-one, play Stat Hero now and change the odds. Go to stathero.com slash Clavin, sign up for free, and right now you can get three times back on your first play. They're giving you a 300% match. That's unheard of. Go to stathero.com slash Clavin, stathero.com slash Clavin. Restrictions apply. See stathero.com for details, but also you have to know if you want this deal, you've got to know how to spell Clavin. It is K-L-A-V-A-N. There are no easy I just make it look easy. Now, the specific part of this Afghanistan disaster, and again, this, uh, the disaster is a result of incompetence and callous stupidity. And the thing that I want to dig into today is what, what is causing this callousness? What is causing this kind of uh, gormless blindness to the intensity of the suffering caused by the intensity of the incompetence, right? This is something where if it happened to anybody else, I think, if it, certainly if it happened to Trump, I mean, we would never hear the end of it, and rightly so. It would be right for us never to hear the end of it. But all we hear from the left is Trump, 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 and Trump would do this, and Trump would do that. But this is on Biden, this, this incredible disaster and his callousness about it. I mean, you know, we, we were talking about the fact that they've turned over names of Americans and uh, American allies to the Taliban, hoping they'll protect them, right? And so this week, uh, Peter Ducey, the last reporter in America, asks Jen Psaki, well, does this mean that the U.S. is negotiating with terrorists now? And this is what Jen Psaki said. Hey, guys, let's talk gender, specifically Libra genders. 
Firstly, know the difference between a static or a stable gender, one that doesn't change, and a fluid gender, one that does change. Now, Libra genders. Libra gender people feel mostly agender with a slight connection to another gender. All right, so <laughs> that wasn't Jen Psaki. That was the crazy uh, TikTok girl explaining Libra gender. Um, this is this is what Jen Psaki really uh, said uh, on this on this question. Cut seventeen. Why haven't we heard the president say the United States does not negotiate with terrorists? Is that still the U.S. policy? Well. Of course it is, Peter, but I would also say that uh, there's a reality that the Taliban is currently controlling large swaths of Afghanistan. Uh, that is a reality on the ground. And right now our focus and our priority is getting American citizens evacuated and our Afghan partners evacuated. And I would say, given the numbers that we've outlined and briefed for you, uh, that we've had made a great deal of progress in doing exactly that. So we are negotiating with terrorists, and the reason you don't negotiate with terrorists is because it encourages terrorism, right? So we are giving power over to the Taliban, and we're encouraging them the kind of blithe tone she takes. Well, you know, this is the reality on the ground. We handed the country over to the Taliban. Now we're negotiating with the Taliban, which means... All these people now, especially after this terrorist attack, which means people can't get to the airport. Uh, Afghanis are going to be afraid to go to the airport. Everybody's going to be afraid to get to the airport because now we know the terrorists are attacking. So this essentially means that Americans and there's they say there's a thousand Americans left. I suspect there's more than that. Americans, allies, uh, green card holders, they are stranded. And here is Jen Psaki again talking about whether Americans are stranded. Firstly, Libra Feminine, and I do want you guys to keep in mind for the rest of the video that there is another black line down there. Feminine people feel mostly agender and slightly feminine. Describe it as feeling a strong connection to agender as, as well as a lesser connection to femininity. Okay, that's the, that's the crazy TikTok girl again, Jen Psaki, this is cut eight. What do you say to the American citizen in Kabul that uh, Fox spoke to this morning? Her name is, Fa she's going by uh, Fatima. She says, we are stranded at home for four days, three days. We didn't hear anything from anywhere. And they're saying to go to the airport, but we're not being given clear guidance. Our emails are getting ignored. You say no Americans are stranded. This is someone in Kabul who says, I am stranded. Uh, so is, is there a better word for somebody who can't leave the house to get to the airport because Jake Sullivan says ISIS is outside the airport? What if, if I would welcome you providing their phone number and we will reach out to them today. So, again, this kind of snarky remark to this, it, remark to a serious question about Americans stranded in a country that has now fallen prey to terrorists. Even the people warring with the terrorists are also terrorists. Again, I'm talking about an attitude. I'm talking about a kind of brush off that he is, she is giving the press. Here's just one more. You know, uh, she is asked what the plan is for Americans who are still there. Do we have a plan to get them out? And here's Jen Psaki's answer to that. Masculine is the opposite, where someone feels mostly agender and slightly masculine. Described as having a strong connection to being genderless, as well as a lesser connection to being masculine. <laughs> Uh, no, that that actually was the TikTok, crazy TikTok girl. Again, this is Jen Psaki. Uh, what is this? Cut 13. We are looking at a range of options for how we can continue to provide consular support, facilitate departures for those who wish to leave after uh, August 31st. And our expectation and the expectation of the international community is that people who want to leave Afghanistan after the U.S. military depart should be able to do so. Uh, we're, we're working on that. As soon as we have more to, pro to provide to all of you, more information, we will do exactly that. When Biden made his speech about this, 
the White House literally had to cut the feed because Biden was making jokes. They asked him, put up the, the tweet on this. They, they asked uh, Peter Alexander says, I asked President Biden what he will do if Americans are still in Afghanistan after the 831 deadline. And you'll remember that the deadline, the Taliban said, we will not allow you to change that deadline. That is a line in the sand. You can't try change that deadline. And Biden said, OK, you know, you're the Taliban, you, you're in charge, so we won't change the deadline. So Peter Alexander asked President Biden what he will do if Americans are still in Afghanistan after the 831 deadline. And he snarkily said, he laughed and he said, you'll be the first person I call. And then he took no questions. And Peter Ducey actually went to Jen Psaki and uh, asked her the, the question, what, what is so funny about this? And here was her reply. Lastly, we have Libra fluid. Libra fluid people feel mostly a gender with a slight connection to another gender that fluctuates throughout other genders. Stay with me here. They feel a strong connection to being agender and another part of their gender feels fluid. One part will always feel agender, the other part will fluctuate between masculine and feminine. Hope that could help. <laughs> All right. That, that, I think that was, that wasn't Jen Psaki, right? That was the TikTok girl again. Give me the Jen Psaki answer to why Biden is laughing about people stuck in this chaos that he created. At the tail end of the president's remarks today about cybersecurity, he was asked about Afghanistan, and he made a I think joke. Peter asked him that question. The other Peter did, and he made a joke. So what's so funny? Well, I think the question he was asked, if I remember correctly, was about uh, when he will provide information about a decision on August 31st. I don't want to paraphrase the question. If that was an inaccurate description of the question, to a lot of people watch. Of course, it's a very important question. So she she can't answer this. She can't. What's she going to say? Why is the president laughing? I mean, he's got dementia, but still, still, there's a reason. There's a reason I'm kidding around about the crazy TikTok girl. OK, explaining Libra, Libra, fluid gender. All right. I know this is a tragic day. I know this is a terrible moment in, in American history. Why am I making jokes about the TikTok girl? It's a reason. She is telling you the TikTok girl, not Jen Psaki. The Jen Psaki is just giving cover to Joe Biden and the Democrats. The TikTok girl is telling you something about Joe Biden's incredible indifference and his hard hardness and his snarky meanness about the absolute disaster that he alone is responsible for. Right. Because this is not a policy question. This is a competency question. He is responsible for this destruction of American lives and the destruction of American foreign policy. And the reason is there is no Democrat for foreign policy. The Democrats have never had a serious foreign policy. The TikTok girl is their policy, right? Putting a gay flag on the Kabul embassy in the midst of uh, this Islamic country where they're not, they don't believe what we believe to begin with about any of this. Putting, you know, having a general saying, oh, I'm studying critical race theory was very important. We've got to study white, the sources of white rage and having transgender soldiers that we pay for. That's the policy. That is the policy because foreign policies, foreign policies, are for great nations. So why do we love rockauto.com? It's because we want our car to run, and when our car needs a part, we don't want to get in it and pretend to drive down to the auto parts store. Why? Because the car's not running, it needs a part, and when you get to the auto parts store, they don't know any more about these things than you do. If you go on rockauto.com, 
All the parts you need are going to be right there on your computer. Plus, plus, you get to say, hi, honey, I'm going on rockauto.com. Believe me, the dividends, I can't even talk about it. Rockauto.com is a family business. They've been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They've got a catalog that's unique, remarkably easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle. Choose the brands and you will get great prices. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Write Clavin. You got to say it the same way. Clavin. And how to hear about us, Box, so they know we sent you. That is K-L-A-V-A-N. Great nations become empires. They have imperial uh, problems. They have problems at the borders that extend further and further out as their influence extends further out. And they have to do these things, right? And empires live in moral gray areas where we have to do things that maybe aren't right and maybe aren't quite right uh, in order to maintain order because you are the guy responsible for the order of the world. You have gray areas like we have in Afghanistan. Should we be there? Should we not? Perfectly fine um, argument to have. But it's an argument that you have when you are a great nation. Great nations wage war. Great nations use resources. Europe brags that they've had peace since World War II. That's not because they're more peaceful. It's because they're no longer great nations. It's because they handed off the responsibilities of great nations to us. They are now small, dead cultures that have left this thing to us. They say, oh, we have all these uh, welfare programs. Yes, because you do not have to pay for the military. We have health care. Yes, because we pay extraordinary prices for medicine. So the medication uh, can, so the medicine companies, big pharma, can do the research to develop new medicines. They don't do that, right? We create, we control the world, we police the world, we do all those things. And the left's vision has always been to turn us into a small, frightened European country. They want us wearing masks. They want us hiding in our homes. You know, just like the Europeans or the Australians can't go out or the soldiers descend on them and arrest them. They want just a world like the Europeans run from the top down where the elites and the experts and the bureaucrats tell the ordinary people what to do. And no one cares about foreign policy because if there's war, if there's trouble, the Americans will take care of it. Oh, wait, we are the Americans. That's the problem with the left's philosophy. And they're really what they're saying now is, oh, China will take care of it. They look nice. The Taliban will take care of it. That's that's why they're fine with the Taliban taking care of it. You know, Stephen Colbert, uh, do you have that cut seven? He's dancing with Charles Schumer in New York. They're dancing around while this disaster is happening, while this disaster is happening because they don't care about American foreign policy because America, they, they don't think we should have a foreign policy. They don't think we should take on the gray morality and the responsibilities and the imperial designs of a great nation. That's why Nancy Pelosi made a speech recently where she, while this was going on, while people are throwing their babies over the barbed wire, she said, oh, this is a proud, proud day for America and for Democrats. Well, what the hell was she talking about? What's so proud about watching people who you were trying to protect throwing their babies over barbed wire? It was that the House, Nancy, where Nancy Pelosi is the leader, the speaker, they appro- approved a 3.5 
trillion dollar blueprint of a budget that would pave the way for a vast expansion of the welfare state, right? There would be climate programs and they would be uh, just all kinds of new entitlements. They, they would have a government, uh, more government control over debt. Uh, there would be more debt, so there would be more government control, right? There'd be universal pre-kindergarten. That's great, right? Because now you'll have government teachers. Here's your new government teacher. Here she is. Uh, give me, yeah, give me the government teacher. Hey guys, let's talk gender, specifically Libra genders. Firstly, know the difference between a static or a stable gender, one that doesn't change, and a fluid gender, one that does change. Now, Libra genders. Libra gender people feel mostly a gender with a slight connection to another gender. So you'll have universal childcare with this 3.5, it's supposed to be an infrastructure plan but yeah, and a budget plan. You'll have universal childcare. So your mom doesn't have to be your mom anymore. She can go to work and the government will be your mom. Here's your new mom. Libra feminine. And I do want you guys to keep in mind for the rest of the video that there is another black line down there. Feminine people feel mostly agender and slightly feminine. Describe it as feeling a strong connection to agender as, as well as a lesser connection to femininity. And and you'll be have paid family leave. And of course, you'll have two years of community college. So everybody will get to go to a community college with a government teacher. Here's your new professor. Where masculine is the opposite, where someone feels mostly agender and slightly masculine. Described as having a strong connection to being genderless as well as a lesser connection to being masculine. <laughs> and speaking of a lesser collection, connection to being masculine, uh, they're lowering the age of Medicare in this new uh, in this new budget plan, which will pave the way to universal health plan so you can have your penis cut off for free. This is the policy. This is what they care about. And the debt, the money they want to spend, the money they want to spend will mean we do not have the money to spend on a military that can defend us against the nexus of evil that is coming down the pike, which is China, Russia, Iran, right? The Taliban, the, you know, ISIS, all of those people are going to be working for Iran. They're going to be controlled by China. Russia's going to be in there too, trying to take over the world because that's what countries do. That's what the bad guys do. What the good guys do is they stop them and in stopping them, they become empires. And that's a tragic fact. I don't want America to become an empire. I'm just telling you, it will. It's going to have to. And the question is, are we going to have the money to do it? And we're not going to have the money to do it if we spend $3.5 trillion letting the TikTok girl take over the education of our children and uh, the care of our children and the education of our young, which is what the left wants. This is their policy. This is the This is why they're so callous. This is why they don't care what's happening. Uh, even when American soldiers get blown up, they put on their sad faces and they make their empty threats. We're going to come down. The, we're going to get you, boy. Oh, boy. We're going to we won't forgive and we won't forget. We'll kind of forget it. Long, it's going to be a long time and then we'll forget because, who you know, who wants to start that, all that up again? Uh, yeah, we'll forget. But but we will have the tech TikTok girl teaching your kids and mom can go back to work. So we'll have the TikTok girl raising your kids in pre-K and we'll have the t TikTok girl uh uh, teaching your young people. You know, there was a great moment. Donald Trump had one of his great moments that he has at these rallies. He was at a, uh, where was he? He was in Alabama, I think. Uh, and he gave this rally and he had this moment where he was criticizing the military for what was happening and for their, for Millie and his, you know, critical race theory. And he started to talk about General Patton. And this is what he said. Do you think that General Patton was woke? I don't think so. What do you think, Mike? Mike, was he woke? I don't think so. 
<laughs> I don't think he was too woke. He was the exact opposite. You know what woke means? It means you're a loser. Everything woke. Everything woke. It's true. Everything woke turns to sh okay? It's true. It's true. Look at what's happening. Now, that was a great moment. And it was also, you know, I know you're going to get angry at me for this, but it's also the, the, the reason that he had such a hard time getting reelected despite his uh, many successes. We need conservatives who understand what he just said and who said what he just said, maybe with a little bit more decorum. But I'll, you know, I'll even take the indecorum. We need Republicans who say what he just said, who, who aren't afraid of it. And that's why we love him. That's why we love Donald Trump. That's why we were happy to have him in there. And that's why he caused himself so much trouble. I never met anybody, no matter how much they loved Donald Trump. I've seen them on Twitter, but all the people I've met who love Donald Trump who didn't say, I wish he would keep his mouth shut a little bit more. But that attitude, at least he knows that that's the wrong thing. But I have to tell you something. Right now, Trump is an impediment to a, a Republican foreign policy. So I just got a pair of blue light glasses from Blue Blocks. And as I got them, I was reading the Wall Street Journal and it said some people just wear blue light glasses because they feel they just look great. But what they're really for is for protecting your eyes from the light that comes off your computer screen, which you're looking at all the time. Blue Blocks was created to fix that problem, block out the damaging blue light with high quality lenses, and they work. Unlike other types of blue light glasses, Blue Blocks are evidence-based and made under optics laboratory conditions in Australia. I am looking at a screen all day long, and these really do help. And of course, I look fabulous in them. I mean, look, I look fabulous without them, but still, it is great to have them on my face. To get a pair of your own blue light glasses from Blue Blocks, go to blueblocks.com slash Clavin and use coupon code Clavin to save 15%. That's blueblocks.com, B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com slash Clavin and use coupon code Clavin to save 15%. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, sure, I can spell Blue Blocks. But how? Oh, how? Please tell me how do I spell Clavin? It is exactly. Trump also wanted to pull out of Afghanistan. That's one thing. But he also wanted to keep the entitlements that are draining our coffers. Because so much of what we're talking about is about debt. George W. Bush never asked us to pay for the wars on terror. The uh, left is not going to ask us to pay for this $3.5 trillion. They say, we're going to tax the rich. The rich ain't going to pay a dime, not a nickel, not a penny in taxes for these things. People who make a little bit more money than other people, just enough for you to be jealous of them, are going to be taxed to death. And that means that small businesses are going to close while Jeff Bezos and Amazon and Twitter and Facebook, all these people who have now become servants of the government, are going to get richer and richer. That is how socialism works. And so Donald Trump, somebody once described Donald Trump to me as the guy at the end of the bar. It's not that he's wrong. It's that he does not know how to implement his policy. Uh, many of the things that Donald Trump says are really true. But when you look back on his presidency, he didn't have the staff. He didn't have the people in place to implement that. And the deep state made his life a living hell. We remember this, right? The press and the deep state working together made his life a living hell, uh, brought his 
his approval ratings down. And when and they did exactly what I told you they were going to do on the first day of his presidency. On the first day of his presidency, I told you they're going to make there be a crisis every single day. And when there finally is a real crisis, and that it happened to be COVID, when there finally is a real crisis, they're going to say, see, it's just what we've been saying all along. And that's what they did. It's what they did to George W. Bush with Hurricane Katrina. They accused him of every th- single thing and he shot all their accusations down. Then Katrina hit. He made a mistake. They caught him on it. And they really brought his uh, drove his approval ratings into the sewer. But he's an impediment to our forming a foreign policy because he's so popular with the base that nobody wants to cross him. Nobody in the Democrat Party wants to cross him. And he, too, wants to keep this unpaid for entitlement. Uh, system in place. And he said that at the very beginning. He said, I'm not going to touch your social security. I'm not going to touch your Medicare. I'm not going to touch any of those things. And and we're going to make the military stronger than ever before. You can't do it. You cannot do it. Social security is a just an absolute money suck. And the thing is, you know, the guy who was right about this, and I know conservatives hate him, was Paul Ryan. He said, we should raise the age on social security. That would save us the money. Here's the thing. You know, here's the deal, as, as our former uh, human president would say. Uh, the stuff that I'm talking about is tragic and inevitable. The imperial responsibilities of great nations are inevitable. You know, they say that Britain acquired its empire in a moment of inattention. Uh, but what that really means is at some point, you have to defend the borders of the free world. And if you're doing your job, the borders of the free world spread. I don't agree. We had this big argument. It's worth watching. It was really interesting and entertaining and everybody was acting in goodwill. But I don't agree with Jeremy and uh, Ben that, you know, we have to invade every place on earth and we have to stay everywhere we invade. And if we break it, we fix it, we keep it and all this stuff. I think that's all nonsense. But I also don't agree uh, that that we can just leave every place that we want to or that we can pull in and have a an America alone agenda. America first is one thing, an America alone agenda. I don't think we're going to is going to be sustainable. Why? Because as I say, China and Iran and Russia are going to make their move for the world. And just remember, you know, the big corporations have no problem with China. You know, we say free markets, free minds. They say free markets, uh, free minds, we don't care. So so a lot of people on the left and some people on the right are just as happy if the Chinese come in. But we are America's Americans. We are going to fight back. And if we don't fight back, no one will. And that means we have to ask ourselves now in this moment, you know, in this moment, were we wrong to pull out of Afghanistan? And if we were wrong to pull out at all, why? Who are we? What's our responsibility? Quo vadis. Whither goest we? Where are we going? Are we running away from Rome or are we going to turn around and take up the cross of defending the free world, of keeping China from becoming the master of the world, of keeping Iran and Russia from operating at high levels of power? Are we going to turn back and take up that cross and face the, the trouble that comes and the left are going to be screaming and yelling at us the whole way if we do it? But I think we need somebody to do it. And remember, it's all connected. It is all connected. We can't just not pay for things forever because that's how empires fall. It, it means that if we have a strong army, we need a limited welfare state. The welfare state is not going to go away. So we can, might as well get off that hobby horse. It's not going away. But we need a small, contained, controlled welfare state that brings people who are in trouble out of trouble into work. 
That's what we need, a welfare state that supports people over the gap that gets them back to work. It's got to be made smaller and smaller all the time, tightened and tightened as more and more people get back to work. Donald Trump showed that we can get people back to work by cutting regulations, cutting taxes, and we can do all that if we have a small, limited welfare state, and then we can use that money, that savings, to build a military that will keep the Chinese in check. And that's the future. That's the future that we're facing. And when we go into these battles, we have to, we're going to have have to explain to people when we go into uh, an Afghanistan or uh, you know some other country, we're going to have to be able to say we're going in there to stop the Chinese from doing X. It is in America's interest, and then we can have the sort of global world that we all want to see. It's going to be a global world. There's no stopping there being a global world. But if we, these are real policies that we have to do, and we have to stop saying that the debt doesn't matter when the Republicans take office. The debt still matters when Republicans uh, take office. We have to let them cut things that we like. We have to let them cut social programs that we may want. We have to let them cut the debt so they can use the money to support a military that is going to keep us safe and keep the global world from being run by China. These are the things in front of us. I am not a neocon. I am not in a hurry to end uh, tyranny wherever it exists. I'm only in a hurry to defend American interests, which as China gets on the move, as Russia and Iran join in, as they spread their red stain across the global map, uh, we have to be able to stop them and keep ourselves free and keep Europe free because Europe is essentially now part of us, right? And in order to do that, we have got to know what, what... we stand for. We've got to have the money to do it, and we've got to make a stand. Quo vadis, whither goest we? We've got to face these things. We have got to face these things because the time is coming when the clash of empires will begin again. We've been on a little vacation from it, and in that vacation, we let the TikTok girl take over our culture, take over our politics, take over our foreign policy. The TikTok girl cannot run a free nation. The TikTok girl cannot keep the world free. Only we can. So when you hear quo vadis, you say, I'm heading back to Rome. One of the best things you can possibly do to improve your health is get at least seven hours of quality sleep every night. Look at me. I'm 27 years old. I look like this because I never sleep. There are hundreds of reasons why you can't get enough sleep, but one of the biggest reasons might be a magnesium deficiency. Magnesium is key to getting good sleep, but 75% of people are actually magnesium deficient. I have no magnesium, I'm sure. But if you take two capsules before you go to bed, you will be amazed by how much better you sleep and how much more rested you feel when you wake up. Magnesium Breakthrough is 100% organic, made with vegetarian, non-GMO ingredients. Give it a try and check out for yourself why so many people are raving about Magnesium Breakthrough. For an exclusive offer for my listeners, go to magbreakthrough.com forward slash Clavin and use Clavin10, Clavin10 during checkout to save 10%. Take this magnesium and get back to me and tell me what it feels like to get any sleep. And also, and in return, I will tell you how to spell Clavin so you can get this deal. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. As the legacy media continues to spin the news, our newest podcast, Morning Wire, continues topping the Apple and Spotify charts, and we're continuing our commitment to bringing you the news without a hidden agenda. It's the only daily podcast that values your time and the truth. And while we're working overtime to bring you the news you need to know, we need your help to keep the facts trending towards number one. So subscribe and start listening now to Morning Wire on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a five-star review if you like what you hear. 
If you want the news that other outlets won't cover, then the Daily Wire's Reader Pass is perfect for you. Just four bucks a month, you'll unlock exclusive access to editorial content you won't get anywhere else. And right now, get a free four-week trial when you sign up at dailywire.com slash subscribe. Hurry, because this deal won't last forever. You'll find trending political and cultural topics penned by everyone, from Candace Owens to Ben Shapiro. Take, for example, Ben's latest piece, Here's What Went Wrong in Afghanistan and What We Should Have Done Differently. Or check out our Reader's Past Collections, different series of articles on a given subject. Current collections include the Hunter Biden files and BLM, the organization behind a movement. I think they have my satire in there, too. When you sign up with Reader's Pass, you also get access to the Morning Wire newsletter, a Monday through Saturday email covering the top stories you need to know, available only to Daily Wire members. All this can be yours for just four bucks a month. And act fast to get your free four-week trial at dailywire.com slash subscribe. It's a good deal, and it's also never been a better time to take it. So what are you waiting for? Get informed. Get a Reader's Pass today. Oh, here's an incredibly exciting announcement. Uh, Deadline Hollywood just released the details and an exclusive photo of the Daily Wire's first original film called Shut In, directed by DJ Caruso and executive produced by Daily Wire co-founders. Production on the thriller wrapped this weekend and will be available to Daily Wire members beginning in January 2022. The film is centered around a young single mother who is barricaded inside a pantry by her violent ex-boyfriend while using nothing but her voice to guide her two small children to escape escalating danger. It's intense suspenseful thriller that delivers riveting action without missing a beat. The trailer for Shut In will be out soon, and we know our members will love this film. We entered the entertainment space in order to send Hollywood a message. You no longer have a monopoly on the film industry, and the release of Shut In is just the next step in proving it. So, my guest today is a very controversial figure. Dr. Charles Murray is the F.A. Hayek Chair Emeritus in Cultural Studies at the American Enterprise Institute, the co-author of The Bell Curve. Uh, he has been physically assaulted uh, when he has tried to give speeches by leftists. Uh, they, he is routinely called a white supremacist uh, and a bigot and all kinds of things. The difference between me and the left on this is I've actually read his books and while I have misgivings about some of the things he says is, is fine, uh, I'm convinced that he's a man of goodwill and not a bigot at all. However, his new book, Facing Reality, Two Truths About Race in America, uh, is really quite shocking. And so I wanted to bring him on and let him explain it to you and uh, you can make up your own mind. Uh, Charles, are you there? I am there. All right. I can, I can hear you. I can't see you now, but uh, hopefully they'll bring you up. Um, so you open up Facing Reality by saying that you're writing the book to counter the left's obviously ridiculous uh, accusations of systemic racism in America. And here's one of the opening sentences in, in the book. You say, of the many facts about race that are ignored, two above all, long since documented beyond reasonable doubt, must be brought into the open. The first is that American whites, blacks, Latinos, and Asians as groups have different means and distributions of cognitive ability. Now, I read Human Diversity, and I have to say it sounded like a fancy way of saying that blacks are not as intelligent on average as, as whites. So what are you saying? I'm saying that when you give mental tests, whether they are IQ tests or whether they're tests of reading and writing, or history, or anything else, you can you name it, uh, there is a consistent, substantial difference between whites and blacks, between Asians and whites, and there's a difference also between Latinos and other groups. These are group means, and Andrew, 
the thing that is hardest for me to get people to realize is that you can have a difference in means between two groups, but that doesn't sort them into separate bins. These are overlapping distributions, to use the jargon, or put it more simply, millions of blacks are smarter than millions of whites. Uh, and if you start from that point and say, yeah, there's a difference in means, I think you have a much different appreciation of, of the importance of knowing about it. It is not because looking at a person and seeing the color of their skin tells you how smart they are. It does not. But if you are talking about large social consequences, educational outcomes, occupational outcomes among groups, you will see differences that are rooted in the difference in mean cognitive ability. And are you convinced, I mean, when, when the Great Migration started and blacks started coming up from the South to the North, they took intelligence tests and a lot of Northern blacks uh, were smarter than Southern whites and Southern blacks were less smart, you know. So, so are you sure that these results are not just cultural artifacts that can be gotten rid of by cultural well, means? No, and actually, Andrew, one of the other things that I say in the book that I want people to focus on is you, this is one case where the causes are not really important. For one thing, the black-white gap narrowed substantially for people born before the early 1970s, and I attribute that narrowing entirely to changes in culture and environment for the better. But that's not the issue now. Suppose that the remaining difference, which has been pretty constant for the last 30 years, is entirely cultural. Just assume that. That does not make any difference when you are looking at educational outcomes and occupational outcomes as of the end of August 2021. The difference exists for whatever reasons, and the existence of the difference has social consequences. Uh, we have to talk about them. For a very simple reason. The critical race theorists are basically saying, well, look, we had the Civil Rights Act almost 60 years ago, and look at these disparities in educational outcomes and, and the number of senior managers at Microsoft that still exist. What else can it be except racism? And if you are going to counter that, if you're going to say, well, there are explanations other than racism, and it is related to the difference in mean cognitive ability. That what we are looking at with many of these discrepancies, disparities, is to be expected, given the facts on the ground. Uh, it's not fun to talk about. It will be misused by the white supremacists. But we've got to somehow get people to realize these allegations of systemic racism are nonsense. That doesn't mean that race is not still a factor in America, American life. Yes, it is. Is it systemic? No. And that you've simply got to have recognition of these facts if you're going to destroy this pernicious ideology called critical race theory. Now, it is a pernicious ideology, and you and I are completely on the same page. I mean, the left has, hasn't said anything true really since Marx. I mean, since there's been a left. But... But at the same time, you talk, for instance, in human diversity, a lot about genetics and a lot about uh, the the interactions between people. And yet we, we do see things. I mean, it, I, I wonder if there's a d danger of discouraging in attacking critical race theory, but 
is one thing, but isn't there a danger of discouraging things like the Success Academy charter schools, which have eliminated, it seems, the differences between their mostly black students and other white students in other schools? In other words, shouldn't shouldn't we be talking about ways of, of narrowing this gap uh, or, or should That's we not? Is it? Yeah. Okay. Andrew, in the absence of what is now the predominant ideology of the administration in power, in the absence of that, yeah, we can focus exclusively on how can we uh, uh, use the success of success academies and others? How can we expand that, make the public schools more responsive? That, yeah, that would be wonderful. We don't have that option because, well, we've talked so far about education and cognitive ability, but in that and also in matters of policing, uh, the charges of, of racism and white privilege and the degree to which whites are evil and all the rest of that are poisoning the system. And we are not going to be able to scale up the successes of Success Academy until we first Face reality, which is where the title of the book, <laughs> right. the book is Facing Reality, Two Truths About Race in America. But I want to I just want to make sure I understand what you're saying, because the attacks on you. I mean, I read preparing for this interview. I read a uh, an article in uh, the Times Literary Supplement, which is usually a highly intellectual uh, venue by a critical race theorist that was basically invective disguised as, you know, a criticism. I mean, it was just basically making accusations against you with no basis whatsoever. So I just want to make sure that I understand what you're saying, because your your books can be dense. They're dense with information. You do seem to rely a lot on uh, genetics. And one of my problems with genetic thinking is my problem with all materialist thinking is that it falls prey to the logical fallacy that whatever is must be, okay? And so we've seen over time that races change. I mean, the Jews in Russia are a criminal class, essentially, but they come to America and they're successful. The Irish are treated like the blacks in in Britain, but they come to America and again, successful. The barbarians who took over Rome built Europe. And and so we see that things change. And what I want to, what I'm trying to ask you, I guess, is do you believe, do you believe that the, um, that the differences in cognitive ability between the races are baked into the system, or are they things that we should be addressing? And if we address them, can we get rid of the disparities? Point number one, uh, Andrew, have me on again sometime and we'll talk about human diversity. (laughs) (laughs) I'm delighted delighted you read human diversity. Uh -uh. It pretty much sank without a trace. Uh, It was not reviewed by the major publications. Uh, I have my own theories about that. And it's a very interesting conversation that what we're learning about genetics, not just with regard to cognitive ability, but all sorts of other traits, we could have a fascinating conversation about that. That does not, it is not relevant to the existence of differences now. Let me, let me turn to the policing issue. Maybe okay. I can make the issue there. Okay, let's say that the black-white difference in violent crime rates, which is the second truth, in the book right. uh, that I refer to. Let's say that that is entirely culturally determined. That's entirely environmental. Okay, fine. If you are a cop, a professional, well-trained, well-meaning guy or gal, and you are in a low-income black neighborhood, you are facing a, an environment, a policing environment that is dangerous, 
much more dangerous than the environment in a middle-class white neighborhood. And your appropriate professional response is going to be different in that environment than it is in the white suburban class neighborhood. It's not systemic racism. It is professional police acting responsibly, but responding to an environment which, for whatever reasons, is different in black neighborhoods and white neighborhoods. So should we do everything to get rid of the difference in black-white crime rates? Absolutely. Can we blame, well, let me say one thing, videos of cops shooting people in the back as they walk away. That's a criminal act. That's a criminal act that needs to be prosecuted. But they're way outnumbered by decisions that have to be made in split seconds uh, where lives are at stake and are mistakes made. Yeah, uh, but do they represent racism? Not necessarily. And do differences in other kinds of police behaviors reflect racism? No. So we're saying two things at the same time. We leave open the possibility that the black-white difference in violent crime is entirely environmental. And we also say that differences in policing in black and white neighborhoods now are not the result of racism. And I could say the same thing if I'm an employer and I'm interviewing candidates for a job. Uh, Whatever the causes of the difference may be, I'm going to have a lot more candidates for high-level programming jobs from Asians especially, but also from whites, than I am from blacks because the educational pipeline is providing many more of the latter, former kinds of candidates than the latter. That's not racism, and job-buying decisions are going to reflect that difference, whatever the causes may be. Uh, That's totally fair. I completely agree with most of what you just said. But doesn't it matter? what you think the causes are? I mean, doesn't it ultimately, you know, when when you are a, a public figure, a scholar, uh, and a, a genuine scholar, and again, I, as I said before, I'm absolutely convinced that you're not a racist, that you are ap- operating in goodwill, but doesn't it matter to somebody reading Facing Reality whether you're saying uh, the left is wrong, but there are other cultural reasons for this, or whether you're saying the left is wrong, and this is incurable, this is something that can't be changed? Okay, I've, I've said as often as I'm going to say that, no, it doesn't make any difference what the causes are for purposes of this book. Let me say very briefly what we're going to be going through with regard to genetics over the course of the next decade. And, Andrew, there is nowhere a greater discrepancy between the conventional wisdom in the chattering classes in the elites and, and what is known by the scientific community in regards to genetics. Mm. Uh, it is now taken for granted as a consensus among uh, population geneticists who deal in ancient DNA and other things that a great deal of evolution has taken place since humans left Africa. And it is also taken as a consensus that lots of genetic variants have different profiles for different ethnic groups. And by the way, we don't need to use the word ethnic. We can just say populations. Uh, certainly doesn't. We don't need to use the word race. Armenians have different genetic profiles from Welsh. Uh, and I can go through any pair of ethnic groups you want to talk about and say that's just an empirical reality. At this point in history, we do not yet know a lot about what those mean for the phenotype. By the phenotype, I mean observable behavior and traits. But we are going to know. And another thing that is broadly accepted by geneticists is that there will be differences among different groups 
not necessarily large, but that will exist. And once again, Andrew, that is not genetic determinism. <laughs> it is saying, do genes have any influence whatsoever on these traits and behaviors? Yes. Is it extremely probable that there are differences, whether they be minor or not so minor, among different ethnic groups? Yeah, that's also going to happen. And it's time we were able to talk about that calmly and rationally and not run screaming from the room. <laughs> yeah, you know, did you read the uh, piece that John McWhorter uh, wrote about you? Um, John McWhorter is a very serious, intelligent uh, linguist and uh, literature scholar, a black guy, uh, and he wrote a review titled Why Charles Murray's New Book is His Weakest, Speaking of Facing Reality, Despite That He Is Brilliant and Not a Bigot. Uh, and he calls you one of America's most brilliant thinkers. Uh, but he says that your solution, your approach to this problem, in his words, doesn't work. He says that Murray thinks we need to accept an America in which black people are rarely encountered in jobs requiring serious smarts. We need to accept an America in which almost no black people are physicists or other practitioners in STEM or have top-level jobs in government uh, or are admitted to top-level uh, graduate programs. And basically what he says is that's a very discouraging approach, uh, especially if you're a young black person coming up. Um, it, it, is he wrong? I mean, is there is there something he's getting wrong about what you're saying? Uh, John McWhorter doesn't get very many things wrong. No. <laughs> uh, and and uh, he's a linguist, for those who are not familiar with him, and he's a brilliant linguist. In a sense, I am saying... To say almost no people in those positions is incorrect. Uh, but to say, are there going to be a lot fewer at these very high levels? Yes, uh, for reasons that have to do with, we're getting into the weeds here that we won't, I won't get into them. But uh, when you have a difference in means, that difference gets more important when you move out to the ends of the distribution at the very highest levels. And you see that in all kinds of uh, things, whether it's sports or hiring particle physicists or whatever. So is Murray saying that indefinitely we are going to have uh, fewer blacks as particle physicists as a proportion of the black population than we have Asians as uh, particle physicists? And I'm saying, yeah. You are. Uh, yeah, that, that, that is true. Do I sympathize with John's unhappiness at talking about that prospect? Yes, I do. Do I think that it do I think that it is genuinely serious in that it should change have would have bad effects on black white relations or anything else? And there I want to step back and say no. And the reason I want to do it is that we don't really think in terms of groups. We think in terms of individuals. We think of people in our workplace. And if in our workplace, if in our world, the blacks who are in those positions are just as competent, just as, you know, got there with the same criteria for, for being hired as the whites, hardly anybody is going to be brooding over any disparities in percentages. Because what they will see around them are people who are just as smart and able as they are, 
What we have done by ignoring these problems is we have artificially produced a situation within every occupation. I'm talking about aggressive affirmative action and its effects, where I will talk about a brutal fact. The, the mean difference between the IQs of K-12 teachers who are black and white is about uh, 15 IQ points, which is, you know, a, a meaningful difference. That does not need to exist. If we hired black teachers and white teachers, giving both of them a fair shake according to their qualifications and abilities within any given school setting, the black and white faculty members would be equally competent, equally appropriate. I'm saying, I guess I'll put it this way, Andrew. I think a great deal of the deterioration in race relations in this country is produced by ignoring these realities and trying to produce an artificial equality in numbers that necessarily produces an important difference in performance in the job or in the classroom. To, to just counter that, my last question, I, I guess, is to play the devil's advocate there. On the other hand, we can say that people through the years have regarded one another in terms of groups and that that's really kind of worked out badly for people. I mean, there's been a lot of, you know, racial thinking has created a lot of uh, stunted lives, a lot of violence, a lot of um, uh, oppression. Uh, do you have any qualms about that? Do you have any qualms that maybe you're leading people to a place where human nature being what it is, uh, you're leading them to a place where that that's going to accent those those problems? Actually, I am saying that getting rid of, a, of any law, regulation, uh, incentive program, or anything else that treats people differently according to their race, I think getting rid of all of that would be a marvelous thing, not just for, you know, race relations in general, but for the mental health of everybody. <laughs> Look, a, a black guy who's applying for a job in 1940 knows that he has, he's not got an equal shot with a white applicant because of his race. And that was really bad. And that was poisonous. A white police sergeant who has gotten a really nice, good score on his examination for promotion to lieutenant but sees a black guy get promoted over him who does not have nearly the same objective qualifications, that's also poisonous. And that also is ruining lives. And I'll tell you one other thing that I feel very strongly about. When we take smart black kids who would do terrific in an engineering program at Purdue University, which is a good engineering program, and we put them in MIT, and we throw them, they're in the top, 3% in intellectual ability for engineering, let's say. The other people in their class are in the top 10th of the top percentile. And that kind of difference makes you feel dumb. It makes you feel depressed. It makes you more inclined to drop out of school. And that is true whether you're a white guy put into that kind of situation where you're outclassed, even though you're really quite good, or whether it's a black guy who's put in that position. So... I guess what I go to the wall on, uh, Andrew, is we have produced enormous human suffering by not having a fair, open, calm discussion of the kinds of differences that are in facing reality. So I was unhappy about writing, having to write the book. My family was unhappy about me thinking I had to write the book. 
in retrospect, I think it's, I think it was my obligation to do so in, in very important respects. Not that it solved anything, but I had to say it. Dr. Charles Murray, the book is Facing Reality, Two Truths About Race in America. Thank you so much for coming on. Really interesting to talk to you, and uh, I'm, I'm glad to, to hear what you had to say. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Gather your troubles around you. Kiss them on the head. Say goodbye. They're over. It is time for the mailbag. God, that's you. You disgust me, you people. All right. From Donna, my uh, you know what? I I got two letters here uh, that are on the same subject. and I'll read a little bit of both uh, because it really is important Uh, from Donna. My question is in regards to emotional support for my husband. He's a combat veteran. Uh, He was part of the evacuation of the embassy in Saigon in 1975. I've never seen him so distraught and disgusted as he has been with the fall of Kabul and our expletive deleted withdrawal from Afghanistan. We go to church. He sees a council has several face-to-face and online combat veteran groups he interacts with. He's gregarious, has a great sense of humor, an excellent moral compass. He's an elected official in our town. He treats me like a queen. How can I best help him? I'm a good listener. He's a great talker. It's the nightmares that have me most concerned. And another uh, one is... um, I've dropped the name on this. It's my fault. But he says, could you give any advice on talking to veterans at risk of suicide? I've lost too many battle buddies over the years, and I do my best to keep in touch with those left so we don't lose any more. But since Biden's withdrawal, I've already had two heart-wrenching phone calls with brothers who were tickling the trigger. It seems everyone who had PTSD is having it flare right back up again. Uh, And he says, uh, you know, I, I could keep my cool uh, under fire in Ambar and Kandahar, but this kind of mess makes me shake in my boots. Please advise. All right. Um, so that's from Joshua. Thank you. That's, uh, that, that letter was from Joshua. Um, I, I've dealt with a lot of suicidal people. I've been suicidal. Uh, and first of all, both you guys and all of the people who are dealing with this, because I'm sure these two letters represent tons of people out there who are dealing with, who either are veterans dealing with a PTSD at watching uh, Joe Biden desert uh, every responsibility America has, uh, or, uh, or are dealing with veterans or are veterans dealing with PTSD. First of all, if you are dealing with, God bless you for listening to people. Uh, you know, Donna and Joshua both, uh, God bless you for uh, being there for people and being on the phone. And that is the first and most important thing you can do. And you know, people want to be active and they want to give advice and they want to talk people down. But listening is much, much more important. When you start talking, you can erase people. You can erase their concerns. You can tell them to cheer up. You can give them advice. And what they need is for you to hear them and to sometimes just echo back what they're feeling. Just say that that really does sound painful. As one, you know, that's something you could say to people. You know, that really sounds excruciating. You don't have to cheer them up. You don't have to say cheer up. Life can get better. It'll pass. You know, just say, yes, that sounds painful. You can you can, um, uh, you know, give them an affirmation for the things that they are feeling. Uh, You know, you Donna, you said your husband has got a lot of professional help. But for those of you who don't, you should encourage them to get professional help. The study of PTSD is a real thing. Uh, But all with all of that, you have to remember uh, that the choice of whether to kill yourself belongs to them alone. 
And uh, that's a terrible thing. It is a terrible thing for people to kill themselves. They leave a terrible mess behind, but you can't make the decision for them in the end. You can try and stop them. Uh, you can watch them and all that. But the most important thing you can do is listen to them, advise them uh, to get professional help, advise them to be with other people who understand. Uh, but remember, the final decision is in their hands. These people are traumatized and that they, you know, they have PTSD. It's a, tra- a trauma thing. And a trauma is caused by, it's not just caused by bad stuff happening to you. It's caused by bad stuff happening to you in conjunction with a crushing sense of helplessness. Uh, and all of us are sometimes helpless as children were helpless. And that's why children who are abused uh, are traumatized. They have PTSD, right? They have, they're so helpless. But, but adults are helpless too in the face of massive things like war, uh, in the face of politics. We all, there's a measure of helplessness and disease. There's a measure of helplessness in all of human life. And what happens is the brain replays the trauma trying to escape that sense of helplessness, basically trying to give it a different ending, and you become compelled to relive the trauma. So people who are abused sometimes seek out people to abuse them in their adult lives. People who are abused as children sometimes seek out people to abuse them in their adult lives. And that's one of the things that makes suicide appealing because it's something you have control over. It is a defense against helplessness, right? Uh, And and there are professional treatments for this. And, you know, I don't know, you know, Donna, you said you do go to church. And, uh, I, you know, I don't know how many of the veterans out there go to church or are believers. But even if you don't believe the story that the gospel tells us is an important story, uh, it tells us that even if you act beautifully, uh, even if you're a child of God, even if you're a moral person, an honorable person, a courageous person, uh, the world is going to be a difficult place for you. You know, there was no more honorable, no more beautiful, no more decent moral person than Jesus Christ. He was crucified and he was crucified by everybody. He was crucified by the church. He was crucified by the government. He was crucified by the people. Everybody uh, crucified him. And, um, and the thing that you have to remember in that, you know, this is a, this is a broken world. It's a terrible world where idiot politicians erase the gains that are made by people, courageous people giving their lives and their limbs. Uh, that's a terrible world. Uh, and God, if, if you are a believer in Christianity, you know that God knows it's a terrible world. God was here. He experienced it. He experienced the terrible things of this world. And he understands your grief and he understands your sense of helplessness and he understands the damage that's been done for you. And what the Gospels want for you is insane. What they want for you is for you to be joyful in your pain, joyful in the broken world and joyful meaning having living with gusto, living with hope and uh, and excitement and appreciating the beauty and love in, the, in this world that is tragic and sinful. I want to, you know, this may seem like a strange thing, but I want to recommend a movie, um, personally, because I f- often find the arts can be very helpful. It's not a war movie, uh, but it, it is one of the very rare American movies that I think is a wise movie. Uh, I think it is a movie that contains wisdom, which most American movies do not contain. Um, and it's called a movie called Cast Away. And maybe you've seen it before, but I still think it's worth watching again, starring Tom Hanks and directed by Robert Zemeckis. And it's about trauma. It's about helplessness. It's about grief. Uh, it's about the things that people lose and they can't get back ever, ever. And it's obviously Tom Hanks plays a guy who is on a desert island. And it's interesting, this, the name of the movie is not Castaway, one word. He is a castaway. It is cast away. He is thrown, the world has thrown him away. It has just thrown him into a place where he cannot get back, where he is utterly, utterly helpless. 
Now, I saw this moment movie, movie at a special moment in my life when my wife had suffered uh, from some trauma. And the, the trauma had given her a, a, an extraordinary moment of wisdom and insight. And during this period, she said the most, one of the wisest things anybody has ever said to me, one of the most revelatory and one of the most helpful things uh, anyone has ever said to me. And I don't like to be that nice to her because I might have to raise her pay and, I don't, you know, and, and be kind to her. And I don't want to do that with my wife, of course. But she said, this is one of the wisest things anyone has ever said to me. She said, you can get through all of life your whole life by only saying three things. I'm sorry, I love you, and thank you. And the interesting thing is the next day I went to see this movie, Cast Away, with Tom Hanks, and the last fourth of the movie, almost all Tom Hanks says is, I'm sorry, I love you, and thank you. He, was li- he lives out in this movie. Um, the, wi- the wisdom of that advice. Uh, there's a speech at the end of this movie and I debated playing it, but I decided not to because I think you should go and watch this film for its wisdom. Uh, it's an entertaining film, but it's, uh, it's all, I think you should watch it for its wisdom. And I don't want to give it away. I want to take it out of context. But Tom Hanks is speaking to uh, our friend, the famous international film star, Nick Searcy. Uh, and he talks about his helplessness on this island and how he was helpless over everything. Life, death, rescue, losing the love of his life, res- you know, helpless over everything. And he talks about suicide and he talks about why he stays alive. And for some of you out there watching Joe Biden and reliving the trauma of your own combat experience uh, or living with somebody who is reliving the trauma of your combat experience, it, it would be a good thing to hear this speech. Why in the midst of his helplessness, in the midst of his trauma, in the midst of irreparable loss, irreparable loss and grief, why he decides to stay alive and why he decides to live with a new faith and a new joy, which is what the movie is about. And in the meantime, let me just send one message to all of you. And I think I can say uh, that this message comes from me and from my audience, from everybody who's listening. Uh, you know, we, we know you're out there and God knows you're out there. And uh, we know what you're watching and we know you're experiencing these flashbacks. And all I can say is, I'm sorry, uh, I love you and thank you uh, because you your honor and the, your courage has created a soul uh, that will go on way past this awful, awful moment. With this awful moment, this show comes to an end and plunges you into the even more awful Clavenless Week. And I know what, what a terrible thing that is to do to you in this moment, uh, but I got to take a break. Come on. Uh, there will be wailing. There'll be gnashing of teeth. There'll be darkness in the exterior where you'll be crawling, climbing, scraping your way back to next Friday when I will be back again. Uh, and, uh, you know, I don't want to hold out hope that you're going to make it. But if you do, we will be here with The Andrew Clavin Show. I'm Andrew Clavin. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode and want to spread the word, give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe, too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, basically wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, remember to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Walsh Show, and The Michael Knoll Show. Thanks for listening. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Mathis Glover. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vidowski. Edited by Danny D'Amico. Lead audio mixer, Mike Cormina. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Production coordinator, McKenna Waters. 
and our production assistant is Jacob Falash. The Andrew Clavin Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2021. The cop who killed Ashley Babbitt was interviewed by NBC, and after seeing him, I'm even more sure than I was before that she was murdered. Also, President Biden literally falls apart on camera while responding to the terrorist killing of 13 American servicemen. And also, the Supreme Court shuts down Biden's unconstitutional eviction moratorium. And finally, we'll deal with the new non-binary remix of its reigning men, a very important issue and one of many that we will discuss today on The Matt Walsh Show.